Why were we put here? I think everyone wants to know, why were we put here? Why are we on Earth? My purpose in life is to, um, to live a normal life, to, to be uh, a citizen, a productive citizen. Intentar pasar por la vida de la manera más desapercibida posible. I don't fully know why I'm here, but I enjoy that. I enjoy knowing that because then that creates endless possibilities for myself. I would like to make a difference, even if it's only in one life. I'd prefer to do more. Because I think the meaning of life, in my opinion, is to find something that you're passionate about and use that passion to make the world around you a better place. Hey, welcome, my friends, to a historic moment. Thinking of all of you at the Bolingbroke campus and at 95th campus and Wheaton and Hobson. When I, when I say historic moment, I, I'm not exaggerating. You have chosen to participate in something that's never happened in the history of Chicagoland, as far as I know. And that is this joining together of over 800 churches right now. Can you imagine it? You got to use your imagination to try to think of all of these hundreds of thousands of people in Chicagoland who have said life matters and questions about life of ultimate significance must be discussed and pondered. And that's what we're here to do. We, I just think God has got to be so excited as he looks down on all of these spiritually curious folks saying, let's go on a journey together in pursuit of truth and see how our lives change. As a result, not only hundreds of thousands of people at 800 churches, but also in the next seven weeks, there are going to be thousands of groups throughout Chicagoland. We call them discussion groups, uh, meeting in restaurants and workplaces and homes where folks, spiritually curious people, will be discussing and asking honest questions that they've had for a long time but not had anybody who would talk with them about it. How exciting is this going to be? May God bless all the churches on this quest and all of the groups in this next seven-week period. It is going to be so fun to see how God changes all of us as we go on this journey together. And this first question, boy, what an important one. What is the purpose of life? I mean, you only live once. Might as well live it for the right purpose, wouldn't you agree? And so let's study it. I, I want to start by telling you a story from my childhood that I'll never forget. I was eight years old. Our family was down in Florida on vacation, and my mom bought me a kite. And out on the beach, I was flying this kite, and it was a great day. The wind was strong, and I, I, I don't know that I had flown a kite much, and so I'm holding this, watching my kite go higher and higher as the spool spins out of my hand. Well, I, I fumbled it. In this exciting moment, I fumbled the spool and dropped it and watched as it went bouncing down the beach. Has anyone lost a kite before? You know, truthfully, it doesn't matter, right? It's a $10 kite for crying out loud. But in my eight-year-old mind, I freaked. This was a tragedy of epic proportions. I'm like, no! 
And everything inside of me suddenly lit up on this quest to get the spool before it disappeared forever. I was not a fast runner, but on that day, I ran like the wind. I took off, just, no, you know, and I'm running after, no. The thing bounced through areas where people were laying on their towels sunbathing. (laughs) Not good. Did I care? Not at all. With singular focus on the objective, I ran over people's towels. I kicked sand in people's faces. I just didn't care. I mean, something devastating was underway. And I ran and I ran. I remember thinking for a time, I'm gaining on it. I'm going to get it. But then, I don't know if you've tried to run on sand before, but it is exhausting. And my heart is burning, my lungs, keep going, keep going, you gotta do it. Well, eventually as it went, it bounced, uh, the wind took it kind of off the beach and into some vegetation that was growing there. Well, without even slowing down an iota, I charged through bushes and plants, no, just running like a crazy person. Well, I failed. Uh, A major gust came, and I remember the spool lifting off the ground, and there it just went off and was gone forever. I I looked down, and my legs were just shredded. I had blood running down my legs from the bushes and the plants that I had just charged through. (laughs) You're like, Jeff, you were not a real smart lad, were you? Uh, No, I, I, I guess I wasn't. From this perspective... The, the folly of my exercise is so obvious. I mean, I'm probably not going to get my goal of getting this pool. You can't outrun the wind. And the objective was not worth it. I mean, so imagine I had gotten it. Really? The exhaustion, the blood, the offense to the others, you kick sand in. I mean, was it worth it? No! And I share this story because I think it's a little parable for life. My kite flying beach run is what each of us are doing. Your life is like that moment. You're going after some objective. There's a purpose in life that you're pursuing. And you're probably pursuing it with some tenacity. And you you may say, no, I don't have a purpose. You know what? Everybody's got a purpose. Maybe your purpose is to just make it through each day, and arrive at death safely. Everybody's got a purpose. And this question of, is my purpose one that's realistic? Meaning, can I really achieve this goal, or will I arrive at death, you know, and say, I'm going to be a millionaire, and I never was, you know? And better, more important, is my purpose the right purpose? Meaning, if by chance I do get it, Will I determine in the end that it was worth all the sacrifice and all the effort that went into getting it? This question of purpose is so important because you don't want to waste your one life. You don't want your life to be meaningless, a a chasing after the wind. You know that phrase, just chasing the wind is actually an ancient phrase that has its origin 3,000 years ago. A a philosopher was the first one to say it. His name was Solomon, and he's actually in the Bible. And it's Solomon's words I want to study with you. He, He wrote a book, short book, relatively, called Ecclesiastes. 
And Ecclesiastes is like his journal entries, the results of his experiment regarding this topic of purpose for life. Let's take a look at it, shall we? Let's start in the very first verse of the book of Ecclesiastes. We always teach out of the Bible around here at the Compass Church, and if you want, that we provide Bibles in the seat backs. You can find Ecclesiastes pretty easily. Right in the middle of the Bible is a big book called Psalms, and then after Psalms is Proverbs, and then Ecclesiastes. Let's start with verse 1, shall we? Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 1. The words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Interesting. You'll notice I've highlighted two words, teacher and king. This Solomon, the son of David was Solomon. This Solomon was unique. He was both teacher and king. Now, king is king in Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the capital of the nation of Israel. And Solomon was Israel's third king. David, his father, was the second king. Israel existed for a long time before. It just wasn't a monarchy until this season of of Solomon, David, and his predecessor. Well, Solomon happened to rule as king starting in 970 B.C., 3,000 years ago. And he ruled for 40 years, the most prosperous years in Israel's history. Israel was wealthy. The economy was booming. The nation was widely respected and powerful in all the world. And Solomon is unique, not only as a king, but as a teacher. Most kings wouldn't call themselves a professor or a scholar. But Solomon would, and rightly so, because he was an intellectual. He was a philosopher seeking to research ultimate questions. And this topic we're here to discuss, discuss, what is the purpose in life, was his favorite. He wanted to be an expert on this. And what's interesting is not only was he a scholar on this question of what's the purpose of life, but as king... He had the resources to explore options that most people didn't. You know, if you say, I want to wonder what it's like to be powerful, you may never have the power to test that theory. Solomon did. Uh, I wonder what it's like to be a billionaire. Solomon was. I-, I wonder what it's like to be famous. Solomon was. He was uniquely positioned not only to think about these reasons for living, these purposes in life, but to test them. And we ought to listen to those who are able to test options that we'll never experience. You know, like a a modern day example would be, you don't know what it's like to be the most successful quarterback in the whole world. Tom Brady, unfortunately, does. (laughs) He's won so many Super Bowls, you know, married to the supermodel, crazy wealthy, famous. He's got everything going for him. And yet when he was interviewed in 60 Minutes interview, he said something rather surprising. Take a look. (laughs) But with all that money, fame, and career accomplishments, we were surprised to hear this from him. Why do I have three Super Bowl rings and, and still think there's something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey, man, this is what it is. I reached my goal, my dream, my life is me. I thank God. It's got to be more than this. What's the answer? I wish I knew. 
wish I knew. You know, I applaud Tom Brady. Uh, he is asking ultimate questions. He's asking himself, is the success that I've accomplished satisfying my soul? And he's saying no. And he's concluding, there's got to be more. There's got to be more than this. And when asked, do you know what it is? He has the honesty to say, no, I don't. I'm still searching. He had the boldness to acknowledge this discovered truth to the whole world in this interview. And, and we are blessed from learning from his experience in that way. You know, another one, another modern Solomon, kind of like Tom Brady, would be Brad Pitt. Brad Pitt, famous movie star, he was interviewed in Rolling Stone magazine. And here I give a quote from that interview. Brad Pitt said, man, I know all these things are supposed to be important to us. The car, the condo, the success. But if that's the case, why is the general feeling out there reflecting more isolation, desperation, and loneliness? Brad Pitt said, if you ask me, I think we should toss all that stuff. We got to find something else. Because all I know is that we're heading down a dead-end road, a numbing of the soul, a complete atrophy of the spiritual being. And I don't want that, Pitt said. The interviewer said, well, if we're all heading down a dead-end road, what road should we be heading down? And he responded, hey, man, I don't have the answers yet. The emphasis now is on success and personal gain, and I'm sitting in that. He says, I'm the guy who's got everything, and I'm telling you, that's not it. Wow. Tom Brady, Brad Pitt, Solomon. These are people pursuing this discovery of why were we made for planet Earth? What are we supposed to be going after? What is the purpose? And uh, they're to be listened to because they've learned things we would be wise to learn from them. Let's go back to Solomon here. He says, I've, I've, I'm a teacher, but I'm also the king, and I've explored so much. And here's some rather discouraging conclusions. Meaningless, says the teacher. Meaningless, utterly meaningless, everything. You say, why? Why is he so discouraged? Let me tell you a little more of his journey. Solomon was raised in a religious family. His dad, David, just loved God like crazy, but Solomon abandoned the faith of his upbringing. Solomon was embarrassed by the superstitious nature of these systems of beliefs and rules, and he said, there's got to be more to life than that. And so he set out on this multiple decade-long journey in pursuit of figuring out what life is meant to be about. And uh, he really tested every way to live without God. And that's what he's describing here. He's like, you know what? It's all meaningless. It's chasing after the wind. And you say, what did he test? Let's find out, shall we? Uh, here, first, he tested study. It says in chapter 1, verse 13, I applied my mind to study. And Solomon was called the wisest man in all the world. The guy was brilliant. He said, I learned that this too, knowledge, is chasing after the wind. For with much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. 
Solomon would tell you, that he learned and learned and learned and learned. And the more he understood the world, the more this world just disappointed him. Isn't that interesting? Uh, friends, we, we live in a very educated culture. You know, so many high school graduates, college graduates, graduate uh, studies, some doctorate. And, and yet, Solomon would tell you, go after those things. Knowledge is great, but it will not satisfy. We were made for more. Uh, you, you may know the, fra- the phrase, ignorance is bliss. <laughs> if ignorance is bliss, knowledge is miserable. That would be the opposite of that, wouldn't it? You know who said ignorance is bliss? It was actually said 300 years ago by a scholar. His name was Thomas Gray. He was a professor at the University of Cambridge, and he was obsessed with knowledge. He just locked himself in his study. He was a bookworm who was in, just convinced that through gaining knowledge, he would find joy. He became a scholar in the classics, in modern and ancient history, in architecture, zoology, botany, art, music. Nobody knew as much as Thomas Gray, and yet he noticed that as his life progressed and as his knowledge increased, so did his misery, and he lived his life in depression. Knowledge is great. You can pursue it. But if it's your goal in life, if your purpose is knowledge, Solomon says, you're chasing the wrong kite. But what else? How about this one? Fun. Solomon calls it pleasure. Chapter 2, verse 1. Solomon says, I said to myself, I will test you with pleasure to find out what is good. But, what also, but that also proved to be meaningless. Laughter, he said, it's madness. And what does pleasure really accomplish? The guy partied like nobody else. He had the resources and the fame to do it. And so Solomon said, I denied my heart no pleasure it desired. And he just went after partying big time. And maybe the laughter felt good in the moment, but when it passed, the emptiness was still there. To show you his passion and going after fun, let me show you some of the verses that follow here. Look at this. I acquired a harem. He had hundreds of wives and concubines to satisfy his sexual desires. Uh, I tried cheering myself with wine. He was passionate about alcohol. I acquired singers, the best musicians and singers in all the land he hired to play music for him. I started looking at this list, and I, oh, some things never change. This is sex, drugs, and rock and roll, even back then, you know. And this guy said, this has got to be it. And yet Solomon discovered, it's not. It's not. It feels good in the moment, but I'm not really changed. There's no substantially difference in my soul. And so he would say, you know, pleasure is nice, but it's got to be more to life than just seeking the next good time. What about work? In chapter 2, verse 17, he said, all my work is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. I hated all the things I had toiled for because I must leave them to one who comes after me, and who knows whether that person will be wise or foolish. You know, accomplishment at work, again, is a noble pursuit. God's given us work and called us to work. But if work is your reason for living, Solomon would say, you're missing out. 
If, if your objective is to, I'm going to dedicate the best of who I am to building this business, to building this company, to building this client base, to achieving it in advance in this organization, you can chase after that. And if you catch it, great for you, but know this, it'll all crumble. Then it may be the next leader after you that kind of sees it crumble. That's just the painful reality of organizations built in this world. My dad and some of his buddies started this investment banking firm, and they worked hard to build this great company from scratch, and, and they did well. But then eventually the partners came to retirement, and they turned to the younger generation in the company to buy them out, and no one was interested. And running out of options, they found a bank that said, well, we'll buy your client base and merge the organizations and shut you down. And now my dad's got a box of T-shirts and pens and memorabilia with the company name, and it's just gone. That's how it is. And so if you say, I'm going to find meaning in building success and achievement at work, Solomon would say, it's a waste. It's not what life is about. Well, what else? Oh, this is interesting. In chapter 4, Solomon observes a rags-to-riches story. This probably a neighboring nation as a young man who rises up to be king out of amazing poverty. Look at this. Chapter 4, verse 14, demonstrating the, the goals of fame and power. A boy had been born poor and had even gone to prison before rising to become king. Many followed him at first, but later they didn't like him. So fame and power are meaningless, like chasing the wind. Uh, Solomon, you know, learning, he's like, I, I know the thought of, you know, achieving power is very attractive. The thought of having fame and the admiration of others is pretty attractive. You can go for it if you want to, Solomon would say, but no, that too won't last. You'll have it for a time, and you can enjoy it for a time, but it'll fizzle. It always does. Do you want the respect of people? Fame, you know, I'm a, I don't expect world fame, but I'd like to be a big fish in a small pond, you know. And maybe you think I'd like some people to admire me or to have some power. You know, it just doesn't last. I, I had an interesting conversation. This was some years ago after church. Uh, this guy came up to me, and I'd never met him before, and we were having a neat conversation. I asked him his name. And it was like uh, when I asked that, he, I had found him out. He said, well, he said, I'm Danny Warfel. And I'm like, oh, that's nice. I had no idea who that was. Maybe you And he went on. He goes, Jeff, I'm, I'm one of the quarterbacks for the Chicago Bears. And I'm like, oh, Danny, I'm sorry. I'm a big Bears fan. I just never heard of. And he's like, don't worry. I'm a backup quarterback. I haven't gotten any playing time. He goes, my NFL career has been pretty lackluster. Oddly enough, he said, I was the Heisman Trophy winner back in college. I played for the University of Florida and won the Heisman. But everybody expected great things and pros, but it just hasn't gone that way. And I, I looked at him and I thought, wow, isn't that interesting? Back in college, for a few years there, he was huge. He was the best football player in all of the world. College football player, that is. He had fame and power. Hope he enjoyed it, because it's gone like sand falling through your hands, Solomon would say. You may have a little season where you're big stuff. It'll pass, just wait. And Solomon would say, there's got to be more 
than chasing these things. One more. How about money? Solomon was the richest man in the world at that time. And in verse 10 of chapter 5, he says this, Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. Isn't that true? This too is meaningless, he says. (laughs) It's true. If you're obsessed with money and, and getting wealthy, you'll never be satisfied. I mean, we're one of the richest countries in the world, and yet who's satisfied with their income? Why are we not satisfied? Because there's always somebody making more than us. No matter what, if we make more than others, who cares? But look at the lifestyle they've got. We're not there yet. And we assume if we were there, then we'd be thrilled. Money's nice. But Solomon would say, if you make that your objective, you are going to be on this treadmill of chronic disappointment. We were made for more than collecting dollars, Solomon would tell you. Now, you're saying, this is the most depressing sermon I have ever heard in my entire life. All you've told us is that none of these work. What works? What is the purpose of life? It's ironic that Solomon did a full circle, leaving the religion of his youth and trying every avenue he could think of of finding purpose without God he came right back around to a realization that we were made for our maker. Look at this. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13. This is at the very end of his record, his book. He says, Now that all has been heard, here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and obey his commandments, for this is the purpose of of all mankind. Interesting. Now, I'll admit that you see those words fear and obey, and they probably don't do it for you. You're like, I wouldn't have picked those words. Uh, Fearing God? Here's the problem. This concept of fearing God is majorly important in the scriptures, and yet it's so easily misunderstood. So let me try to help avoid that. Most people, when they think of fear, they think of something awful. You know, the fear of a monster. I run away from the monster, right? That's not the fear of God. The uniqueness of the fear of God is that it's a good thing, something that makes us not run from God, but to God. I'll just give you an example. In Psalm, another Bible passage, Psalm 147, verse 11, the Lord says this, The Lord is pleased by those who fear him, those who cling to his unfailing love. What is God pleased with? People who fear him, clinging to his unfailing... Is that somebody running away from God? No. God's looking for a fear of him that results in people running to him and his love. And so what is the fear of God then? If it's a good thing that draws us to God, well, here's what it is. The fear of God is the multifaceted, intense response in the heart of people to all the attributes that make God, God. In fact, let me put this down here. The answer is God, but specifically God and his attributes. I get that out of the fear of God. And his authority. I get that out of obey. But let me talk about this fear of God as a response to his attributes. 
we, and I'm including myself, all of us, we just don't know enough about God. Too much of who he is remains a mystery. We must grow in our connection with him and our discovery of what he's like. And let me just tell you this, according to the scriptures, when you discover more of what God is like, you're not going to be like, oh, I expected you to be more. That's disappointing. No. When you discover God's love, his passion, his power, you will be in awe. Your knees will tremble. Your heart will race. You will be like, wow, God. You will come alive. That's the fear of the Lord. You ever talk to a kid who just went on their first uh, roller coaster, and you ask them, what was it life like? And they're like, it was terrifying and awesome. Let's do it again. You know, that's the fear of God. Yes, it freaks you out in the most wonderful way, but you've never been so alive in awe of who God is. And so that's what we need. We need to connect with God in all of his attributes and respond with this glorious dynamic called the fear of God. And we must respond in obedience to his commands. I know obedience has a bad rap too. People are like, I can't stand Christianity. It's all about rules. Don't do this, don't do that. Make me feel guilty about this. Make me feel guilty about that. And a lot of people reject Christianity for the very reason of rules and obedience. Friends, obedience is so misunderstood. God is not trying to ruin anybody's life. He's never given an instruction out of anything but love, desiring to craft your life into the most extraordinary option possible. Do you realize that? It's as if we're writing the story of our lives. We're like, God, get out. I'm in charge. I'm going to write my own story. And God comes along and says, give me the pen. I'm telling you, I'm a better writer than you are. If you'll give me the pen, I will write your story. And as you follow my lead, I will make your life beautiful. I will lead you into uh, assignments to change this world and to touch and mark people in glorious ways and to advance my cause and to fill your soul. God says, give me the pen. This is a return to God as king. I don't know if, if you realize this is not surprising that the purpose in life is to get right with the maker. I mean, I think that makes sense. If there is a maker who made it all, made us, shouldn't we expect that the purpose of life would have something to do with him? About getting right with him? About being restored to him being our king, our leader to obey? This reconciliation with the king is only possible through the cross of Jesus Christ. And we'll talk about that more in the weeks to come. But what we discover is that getting right with the Lord, getting resubmitted to his authority to obey him as king of our lives, and to tremble in awe of who he is, this is what humankind was made for. This is what we were made to chase after. And some of you are like, oh, I knew that. That's my answer. What's the purpose of life? God. And you give the right answer with your mouth, but I challenge you to take a look at your life. Is that really what you're pursuing each day as you get out of bed? Do you say, Lord, my goal is to know you and to respond to all of your attributes. My goal is to obey you each moment and what you say in the Bible and how you lead me in my unique journey according to your plan. 
I'm all about you. Friends, I think a lot of us need a little evaluation about the purpose we're really chasing and a alteration, a a restoration of the correct purpose in our lives. Some of you are like, well, I'm not convinced that God's the purpose of living. I'm not even convinced God exists. Fantastic. Next week, that's the topic we're going to tackle. Does God exist, and how can we know it? Will you pray with me? Lord, Lord, I thank you for Solomon, and I thank you that he had the courage to just be honest about his own failure, about the things he thought that were it, that turned out not to be it. Lord, it is so helpful to have the record of his journey and discoveries. Lord, don't let us just wander through life without questioning and wrestling with these ultimate matters. Like, what are we supposed to live for? God, let that question burn in our hearts. And my prayer is that we will discover the answer is you. And Lord, I pray that increasingly thousands of people will find, throughout Chicagoland, through all these churches, will find the meaning they were made for in relationship with their maker. We pray pray all this in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen.